So hello and welcome to NTI's Japan Business and Property News podcast. I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager at Nippon Tradings International. Our topic of interest today is abandoned properties in Japan, also known as Akia. Uh, with us today is Matt Ketchum, co-founder of Akia and Inaka, a Japanese company specializing in helping foreigners purchase abandoned or semi-abandoned homes in Japan. Hello, Matt. I hope I pronounced that, not your name, but Akia the right way. <laughs> you got the name right, yeah. Yeah, you got both <laughs> names right. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. So, um let's talk about a little bit about yourself could you tell me how i understand you have a bit of an extensive journey to japan what you do and how that came to be um yeah that's a good question so my kind of my professional background is in a good bit of it as well as ngos um and kind of business uh what would you call it business development, organization, optimization, things like that. Um, you know, I've been doing that for, I guess, I'm 34, by the way. So my professional career is now, I guess, maybe a decade old. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that. But and that's kind of, you know, during the day, a weekday kind of thing. Uh, the reason that I'm here, though, it really goes back to almost exactly 20 years ago when I was 14. And uh, I'm, I'm from the US in Pittsburgh. And th this is totally relevant. I'm just going to preface, but it might sound like it's not. <laughs> um, a lot of independent Japanese bands uh, started coming through my hometown when I was in high school, only for uh, about three years, and it was every summer vacation. And I knew nothing about Japan. I had no interest in anime or anything like that. Um, but I started going to concerts and stuff when I was about 13 or 14. These bands kept coming through and were absolutely phenomenal, but I couldn't communicate at all with them. And so that's kind of how I made the decision to start studying Japanese. And, you know, that kind of took me through, you know, most of my, uh, my educational career. And so that's kind of how I'm here. And then also I mentioned, so going back, back to uh, kind of professionalism and stuff like that. So during the day on the weekdays and stuff, a lot of IT, a lot of NGOs and things, but I'm also a musician. Uh, and I run another company that's based out of Olympia, Washington called Call. Well, the parent organization is U235 LLC, uh, but we do business as Kala, K-A-A-L-A, here in Japan, um, which works with the, works extensively with um, Japan's underground independent music scene. Um, we, we have a tourism uh, element to it. We've done data, data science uh, on kind of the physical communities that operate here. Uh, we do design, we do booking, uh, tour management and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of in a nutshell anyway, uh, <laughs> my, my journey here, I guess, and what I do. How in the world have you been able to, I'm just wondering, how in the world with COVID have you been able to stay home when you've got all of that on your plate? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. There, I mean, so with Aki and Inaka, um, kind of going to the subject of today's conversation. Uh, so Akia, as you said, is the name of abandoned. I kind of like to call them vacant houses. Sounds nicer. Um, but either way, you know, nobody is living there. Um, Akia is the word for the houses themselves. Uh, but then Inaka is the word for countryside, right? Um, and the nice thing about countryside during a global pandemic is that nobody's there, which means you've got considerably less risk of any kind of uh, transmission vectors or things like that. Um, so while certainly, you know, there's a good bit of staying home and, you know, isolation and all of these things, uh, it is also possible with, you know, kind of responsible and uh, personal transportation to travel around a good bit. And if you look at our YouTube channel, you'll see that we're out in the sticks quite a bit. Um, so, you know, it's it's not impossible, but there's certainly uh, a good bit of consideration, let's say, that kind of goes into planning our physical movements. It actually sounds like this is the perfect time to talk about abandoned homes 
um, given that we are in the middle of a pandemic and there are a fair amount of people that are looking for getting away from the city and moving more toward not necessarily abandoned homes, but the countryside. And, right, right. Um, and it just so happens that these abandoned homes are found in the countryside. Now, the Japanese government says that as of 2013, there have been more than 8 million abandoned homes in rural Japan. Can you tell me why and how this all came about? I, I can hint at it. I can pick away at the question. Um, of course, it's an incredibly convoluted and complex issue. Um, so I, I'll be the first to say that, you know, I can't 100% identify all of it um, or the reasons for it. Uh, but there's, so one thing I think maybe most important to us and what we do is that there is there, there's a pretty strong metro area and specifically Tokyo area like cultural narrative, let's say, which boiled down more or less states. If you're in Tokyo, you made it. If you're anywhere else, you're nobody. Why would you ever want to go anywhere but Tokyo, right? And so there's the and Tokyo is a great city. Don't get me wrong. I'm not you know dissing it or anything like that. But it does have immense cultural, financial, business, gravitational pull, right? Mm -hmm. and, so, and especially for the younger generations, my, my generation included, um, really the, the main thrust of like anybody's life trajectory is, okay, if you're born in Tokyo, great, stay there. If you're not born in Tokyo, get to Tokyo, right? And so this factors into, you know, the grain population issue um, that has been reported on for however many years now in Japan as well. Um, so there's that, uh, like that, that, that's kind of our main thing, right? And so a big part of our, I wouldn't say tangential business, but a part of our, you know, our MO is kind of wrangling that narrative back from just Tokyo and saying, oh, okay, like if you want to do Tokyo, great, awesome, fine, totally opportunity there. If you want to do that, good on you. But there's also things out here um, that, and we're not even talking about, you know, things that are eight hours out of the city. You know, if you want to get a place an hour out of the city or 45 minutes, so I live 45 minutes by bullet train out of the city, right? Um, so yeah, the, the reason for it though um, is multitudinous, but a major one is that there's this cultural narrative that just says, you better be in Tokyo, right? So this is, it, it almost sounds like it's, it's polarized. It's the complete opposite Extremely. of what is, what one would want in Tokyo. Extremely, extremely, you know, and I mean, that's not to say that, you know, Tokyo is great and like, actually the countryside is super great. Like there are totally issues that, you know, there's, there's cultural issues, there's a uh, geographic, like for example, I live on top of a mountain. If you've got a bad hip or something like that might not suit you very well. Um, there, there are things to consider, right? But there are also opportunities out there. And it's merely a matter of kind of digging through, um, you know, the data and, you know, kind of the experiences that are available around the country. And it's not the case that, you know, anywhere in rural Japan, it's all the same. No, they're totally different. It's an entire country, like <laughs> cities and neighborhoods and stuff. They all have unique cultures, right? So it's, it's really a matter of just kind of spending the time and having the resources to identify the things that may suit your kind of your personal needs and wants. One thing that's very unique to Japan is the um, the market itself. Very different from Canada, where I am, the U.S., London, where most people buy real estate um, for speculative purposes, you know, hoping to obtain right. capital growth. In Japan, properties depreciate. So you're not really looking for capital growth. You're looking more for the rental income. Right. But what I'm wondering is a property generally would depreciate in about 25 years in Japan. I mean, at that point, it would be fully depreciated, yeah. if I'm correct. Yeah. So that would mean then that a person is really paying for land price, if we're talking about these abandoned properties in um, the countryside. They're not paying for the structure, they're paying for right. the land. Is this one of the reasons why these properties would be so inexpensive? And, and how much actually are they? 
Uh, yeah, that's a huge factor in it. The, I mean, basically you're buying, yeah, like you said, the land. And in fact, we've, we've heard cra crazy, you know, not firsthand, but kind of anecdotal stories about somebody buying land with a structure on it that they, that they wanted. And because sort of the, um, kind of the, the standard practice is just assuming, oh, you're buying the land. You don't want this house. Like you're going to demolish it. And so apparently this couple bought some land with a house that they wanted on it. And then they came back the next day and it was totally gone because the contractor just assumed you don't want the house. So we demolished it for you. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, no. What did you do? Whether or not that's true, I wasn't there. Can't say, but I think it's kind of a funny story anyway. Um, but yeah, you're, you're basically buying the land, you know, not a hundred percent, but probably somewhere between 80 and a hundred percent of the, uh, or I'm sorry, up to 80% of the purchase prices is, is attributable to the land value. Um, the cost varies out just incredibly widely. Um, for example, there, so I'm in Kanagawa prefecture right now, which is kind of West and South. Of Tokyo and then on the other side of Tokyo is Chiba Prefecture. You sort of got two, and then there's Tokyo Bay right here. So Kanagawa would be here and Chiba's over here. And on the tip of um, Chiba, uh, this is a little bit ago um, and since has sold, but there was this something. I'm kind of an outdoors person and you know, just have a cabin in the woods and all that sort of stuff. Um, this is kind of my, my, uh, what I'm interested in. And I found a spot just looking personally. $6,000, um, this one room cabin, you know, kind of Thoreau-esque Walden kind of spot on top of a mountain on the end of the Chiba Peninsula, kind of overlooking the ocean. Um, really beautiful, you know, not at all palatial, not, you know, some, you know, extreme awesome. I mean, it's a cabin in woods, right? <laughs> but it can't, I think, you know, the plot was five or 600 square meters the house or the cabinet itself was i think 150 200 something like that it was going for six thousand dollars right we also are currently working with one client on um looking in the yamanashi area which is north of mount fuji um which is kind of nearby uh and their budget is in between 80 or i'm sorry 60 and 85 million yen which is about 600 to 850,000 right us so you can get mega cheap ones like really 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 cheap ones and you can also get rather expensive well comparatively um rather expensive ones but i mean the thing is the spots that we're looking for this larger budget and this higher budget those those are you know kind of mini hotels with gargantuan land plots and you know multiple stories and hot springs and i mean kind of the works and japanese yeah. gardens and all of this stuff so yeah, like 850,000 US is nothing to kind of scoff at, but at the same time, what you get for that amount of money here versus what you get in, you know, California or whatever is considerably oh, for better. for sure. Yeah. Affordable and something for everybody. Yeah, really. And again, I mean, it, it really goes back to um, the data and being able to dig through it. Right. Right now, it's exceed like one of our sort of our, our base service with clients is, is just working through the data, figuring out, OK, what do you, you want? Right. You need to, you know, where do you want it? How What's your budget? How many stories? How old? This, that and the other thing. And then going out there and being able to find it. And right now, the data is so poorly governed and fractured that mm -hmm. an individual can do it. It's not impossible, not at all. Right. But it will take you a lot of time and you will be very frustrated, almost guaranteed during that to go through that. And would it be in English or in Japanese, that data? No, 100% Japanese. In Japanese. So, I mean, that, and that poses another problem really for foreigners as well. Right, right, right. So if they were to, if somebody wanted to do the renovations to these properties, how much would that cost, do you think? It also varies widely, but if we're talking about kind of your, I guess what I'd call a standard fixer-upper, I'd say if you, and generally what we advise our clients on as well is, it all depends on the situation, but if you budget between five and 10 million yen, which is between 50 and 100,000 US, mm -hmm. you know, give or take, um, you'll probably be in the safe zone, 
Again, it totally depends on circumstances, but if you've got that back in you, you'll probably have a pretty good time. So, I mean, whether you purchase a new property mm-hmm. or you purchase an abandoned home and then do the renovations, it could, in fact, come out to be almost the same thing. I mean, it could, that's not impossible, um, but I would be kind of surprised if an abandoned property ended up, including renovations, ended up being as expensive as a new one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would be. And let me also say that these, and actually there, there's also it, what I think is an immensely interesting linguistic element to all of this, right? And so you... kind of lexicon for is abandoned properties right? right which immediately kind of colors your perception of oh an abandoned okay it's probably got ghosts and i bet there's some rats probably some really big spiders in the corner and dead bodies or, or mm-hmm. something like that right those minus the dead bodies uh, those derelict um dilapidated structures absolutely exist right in fact, okay. we sell those sometimes. They're frequently the clients who are interested in that have already gone through the process, either in North America or here in Japan, of renovating a property. And, you know, they kind of like doing it. They got some money to burn, this, that, and the other thing. But that's not everybody's cup of tea. In fact, that's most not most people's cup of tea, right? Most people want to buy something and move in with relative ease. Those totally exist, too. And this is, again, going back to kind of that narrative uh, that I was talking about previously is the narrative on Archaea is they're all dilapidated dumpster fires. <laughs> and that's not the case, right? Um, we recently sold a property up in Nagano Prefecture, which is very well known for kind of skiing and skiing. winter sports and stuff, mm-hmm. where the, was that the 97 Winter Olympics um, were held? And we closed on, I think it was a Thursday, and they moved in on the following Saturday. Right. And I mean, this one came with the beds and kitchen utensils and TVs, like literally you didn't need to buy anything. You just buy the house and then you're good to go. Right. That's more Um, like a semi, that would be more like a semi abandoned. Right. Or what I would, what I tend to call like vacant. Right. And so the reason for this, and these are also very, very common. And the reason for Mm -hmm. this is that um, so there was the bubble period in Japan, right? Everybody kind of made their money between 1980 and let's say 1992 mm-hmm. or so. And then they sort of wrote it out. And then around 2000, those people who made considerable cash, they're about 60 or so years old and they're starting to retire and they're picking up, you know, vacation homes or second homes or, you know, financial investments, things like that. And, you know, they kind of live out their silver years in these nice places that they bought. But now they're between 80 and 85. Some of them have entered care homes. Some of them, some of them have died and you know, their children or something have inherited it. Um, but you know, somebody's coming in once a week to clean the place up. They're going up once a year again as a vacation house or something like that. But by and large, it's just lying on it's lying vacant, right? Um, and all, most, if not all, of those owners are indeed looking to sell. In fact, right before um, we started this call, I was I was emailing a um, municipal government representative out again in Chiba Prefecture about a property that fits this description uh, out there. Um, so again, there's all kinds of stuff. Like if you want a terrifying haunted house bowling alley, I can get you that. Hmm. There's one up in Toji. It's really cool, right? <laughs> But that's, yeah, that's not most people's (laughs) cup of tea. If you want, you know, a cabin in the woods that is nice and you don't really need to spend too much on fixing it up, also totally good. And all of these could be rented out, say, like a person could buy them and then use them as an Airbnb short-term rental. Um, They don't necessarily have to live in them themselves so no there's there's issues there's issues with registration you know is it a business is it a primary residence is it a secondary residence so there's things to figure out um Mm -hmm. regarding that but Mm -hmm. it's totally doable it's just a matter of you know going through the correct process so i mean even if um a property was particularly inexpensive because it had a dead body or something if a person wasn't particularly concerned about themselves living in it, they could always renovate it and then rent it out. Oh yeah, totally. 
Uh, I would, that's, let's see. So not to get morose, but <laughs> you did mention dead bodies. <laughs> there is a, if there's been a death in a property, real estate agents are required to inform by a buyer of that death. But once it's been purchased once, that gets wiped, right? So it doesn't, it kind of doesn't, it doesn't stick with you. It's not a curse. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't actually know what the protocol, if any, would be for, let's say you purchase a property immediately after, you know, there's, there's a death in it. I don't know if that renter, the owner in order to rent out would be required to inform short-term tenants. That's, huh, I'd have to look into that. It's possible. I'm guessing not a requirement, but I haven't thought about that one before. Well, I mean, if they would have to do that for one, then they would have to do that for every tenant that came along, wouldn't they? Presumably. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to know. Something yeah. to look into, I suppose. I mean, there, there's actually, there's a website. It hasn't been t- updated since, I believe, 2016. But just as Akian Inaka works with all abandoned houses, basically nationwide, there's actually, I forget what it's called, um, but it specifically works with the properties that have had a death in them and have been oh. kind of branded with a scarlet letter. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, so it looked like cheap dead body apartments or something like that. For, for now. I'm also wondering about the soil. So let's say, okay, renovations is one thing, but then it's the property is dilapidated. It has to be torn down. How would a buyer know that the soil is safe to build on? Simple. Conduct surveys, surveys and inspections, which are exceedingly cheap. It's about five hundred dollars. Um, with the the architects that we work with, it's usually around five hundred dollars to get them okay. to go in, inspect the land itself, but then also inspect the structure. Because mm-hmm. um, another thing that we find that happens, in fact, we've kind of internally we've worked with clients who have identified a house or a property that they're interested in, and we've kind of looked at it and been like, "Really, that one? Like, okay, if, if that's what you want, can't mm-hmm. argue with mm-hmm. that." But like. Jeez, man, that can't be good. And we get the survey conducted and every single time what ends up happening is the, our architect comes back and says, oh yeah, it, it needs like considerable, you know, there's, there's mold, you got to take care of that. There's rot, there's this, that, and the other. but the structure itself, the, the quality of the actual, the bones of it yeah. are totally solid. It, it needs some serious care, but so far as the building not being viable, that's simply not the case. But yeah, you'll probably have to spend $100,000 in fixing it. So $100,000 approximately to fix it. But then if we look but at... Again, let me, let me rescind that number because like I said previously, it is very, very, very circumstantial. Um, but that being said, if it is in that bad condition, like, yeah, you could spend that. <laughs> I mean, so is that more like the worst case? scenario probably probably around there right i I, yeah and unless here's the other thing too like unless you're kind of just a really hardcore hobbyist who loves renovating houses that nobody in their right mind would actually buy and renovate personally speaking i kind of like okay if you want to do it that's fine but like kind of why bother you know and i mean that that's another of really viable, very good properties out there, but I'd say probably 70 to 80% or so are indeed garbage that deserve being demolished. It's not that all of these are great. It's that, well, there's 8 million at least, and the Mm data is really bad. So it's very, very difficult to determine which is good and which is bad. So nobody touches it. Mm -hmm. But if you start digging into it, right, and you have that kind of intelligence, then you can start making judgment calls on, oh, actually, this one's great. And, oh, all of these over here, no way. And, and so you had mentioned that there are times when, you know, buyers saying that 
this is the one I want. And you're looking at it going that one, like, why would you want that one? What are some of the, um, what are some of the things that they see that attracts them to these properties? And some of the things that you see that are clear caveats of stay away from this property. Let me answer that second part first. And that is, it looks like trash, (laughs) (laughs) right? Or if not trash, then just like a whole lot of work. And I I mean, I myself, I I love fixing things up, right? But I do have Mm -hmm. a limit, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, So far as the client is concerned, generally speaking, it's two things, right? Number Mm -hmm. one, uh, it's location. And isn't there a saying in real estate of like, it's location, 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 location. and location, Mm -hmm. some kind of thing. Um, And so that plays a huge role. Uh, Additionally, and to kind of extrapolate on that, it's not just the... Um, kind of the vistas and the views and, you know, beachside or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's the community. And this is another thing that we really try to focus on is we're not just trying to sell you a place to live or vacate or whatever. Like this is rural Japan tends to be pretty clicky too. Right. And if you go in there and just say, all right, I'm going to be this individualistic, like not going to talk to anybody. I'm just that person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably not going to have a good time. Those communities do exist. Um, but generally speaking, you're, you're moving there to be part of something, right? And so the location element isn't just, oh, it's a desirable area or, oh my God, look at these mountains. They're beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. oh, wow. I found like there's this artist commune down the road or, you know, that restaurant over there. Oh my God, they have the best of soba or, I mean, it's, it's a matter of determining a place that, a place that you want to be, not just a house, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's a very big factor in it. Um, and another one is the, uh, what would you call it? The, um, of course I'm blanking on the word that I'm looking for. Uh, the, the, uh, the patina, the, uh, the character of the property, right? Um, a lot of the time, and this also factors into kind of the narrative thing that I keep going back to. There's a lot of reports about Japanese architecture is awesome and yeah. super modern and all the stuff. And certainly there are good examples of that. But come to Tokyo and go to a residential <laughs> district and tell me what you think then, because mm-hmm. they're all boxes and they all look the same, right? They're not interesting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, these properties that we tend to work with are older. Um, style, um, which is very unique, uh, which is very, um, if you want to say artistic, I suppose you could do that. Um, but again, it's got character to it, right? And so our clients by and large are looking for both character in the property itself and character in the community that the property exists in. Those I would say, like if 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 we, or if anybody, but if we can find that for our client, it's almost a guaranteed sale. And they may also, like you mentioned, um, Nagano, where this ski area is, the people go there for who are ski um, aficionados mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they may be interested in purchasing these kinds of properties because people would be, they'd be much more easy to rent out um, yes. like an Airbnb is what I'm thinking. So that might right, be another right. reason. But um, yeah. how much can a person generate by way of rental income from these properties? Uh, once I, they're done? I, I, keep, I keep saying this, so sorry if it sounds like a, it's a cop-out or something, but it is largely circumstantial. Um, that being said, for like, we're not talking luxury, but just, oh, bought an Akia, fix it up, totally functional, mm-hmm. not luxury or anything like that. I'd say, you know, usually like nightly rentals are between 30 and $60, something like that. I've seen per cheaper. What? What's that? Per, per month? Per night. Per, per night. Present per night. If, oh, you're, per yeah, night. If, you're okay. about, if you're talking about longer stays, Honestly, Japan's pretty bad at bulk discounts. So just multiply that nightly price by however many nights you're there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not really too bad after fixing no, it all up. Not 30 at all. bucks a night not at all. or 60, up to 60 bucks a night. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I mean, quality does vary. So you do due diligence is a huge part of mm-hmm. either if you're an interested buyer or mm-hmm. you're somebody who is like, oh, I could stay at a hotel. Or I could go over to this weird place and, and mm-hmm. check that one out. 
right? Mm-hmm. There, there are ones that, again, are not good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, generally speaking, I'd say sub 100 for sure um, mm-hmm. per night per person. I mean, not everybody is looking for that hotel experience. A lot of people mm. want the cultural experience. So um, yeah. to be out in the in the countryside and experience, you know, more of that, um, the actual culture and not so much the, the westernized city approach, right? So um, something like that, that might be a good reason to um, get involved in fixing it up. And if, if there's nothing, if yeah, it's not... And- Absolutely. And the, um, I don't even know how to say this, but the experiences that even for our, our potential client, like our leads, we still work with them on, okay, you're not ready to kind of make the big jump, but you are curious about this and you just kind of don't know how to engage with whichever place that you're interested in. And so we do work with, um, we have kind of a nationwide network of, of, you know, farmers or architects or artists or kind of whatever, um, and really just kind of facilitate connection making, right? And the experiences that people have um, getting out there and in far less, what's the right word? Um, Spectacular, not in the sense of like big and fireworks and stuff, but like spectacle, like more, more feet on the ground, grounded kind of normal person experiences, mm-hmm. man, it's, it's almost like an addiction mm-hmm. that people get once they start doing it, not to sound like a peddler, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, and it, but it's a positive thing, right? Because, and especially during coronavirus, one mm-hmm. of the huge reasons that people are interested in this is Tokyo is an incredibly densely populated mega city it's like it's what tokyo and mexico city i think are the world's two large like they're gargantuan right which has its merits for sure but during the pandemic it's not so great right and so people are getting out there they're getting fresh air greenery uh you know rivers and and all this stuff but also having you know markedly kind of modern 21st century experiences in that sort of natural environment which i think is an excellent um kind of combination and I think people are just going to be dying to travel once they're able to travel again. But then there's also going to be this sort of, I don't really want the reluctance to be where there's too many people. Um, I think that's probably going to be there for a while. So traveling, but to somewhere that's probably a little bit more in the countryside where they can still have access to the water or fishing or, you know, right, right. The, the getaway um, uh, what did you say that cave or the mountaintop or something like that you yeah, were talking yeah. about something like that right just to get away and still be able to travel well, I mean like my, myself I live I'm 45 minutes by bullet train from Shinagawa station in downtown Tokyo I have a surfboard here I live near the beach then mountaintop uh, forests I've got like a hobby farm that I go to on the weekends I mean I conduct most of my business here um, but yeah, it's 45 minutes out of the city. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not that. Yeah. I think you bad. have the kind of lifestyle that people are hoping to achieve. <laughs> yeah. And it's totally doable, right? Yeah. There's not, I mean, granted where I live in kind of Japan in general, there can be, a, you know, like a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, that where I am, um, which is near Atami, uh, in Kanagawa, mm, little bit upper level like if you don't speak Japanese you might have a little bit difficult to hear that being said um if you go out to Fujino uh which is an excellent spot uh you should check out uh Kasamatsu Farms write that name down uh Byron B-Y-R-O-N and Kauri uh K-A-R or K-A-O-R-I Negi N-A-G-Y run Kasamatsu Farm out in uh Fujino which is also in Kanagawa but way north um, that's also, I think it's like an hour outside of Tokyo and they do spectacular, like any little kid who has ever wanted to build like not just one tree house, but an entire <laughs> city of wow. like just awesome, awesome stuff. They're an excellent example. Um, over in Yamanashi, there's, uh, Jake is doing excellent stuff with, um, all, all of this is Aki related as well. So there are communities. Um, in rural Japan that are kind of more for, foreigner friendly or non-English or non-Japanese speaking friendly. Yeah. 
Um, but it is, it's not everywhere. So, mm-hmm. and again, this is something that we work with our clients on is determining, oh, okay, you're fluent in Japanese. Great. Not an issue. But mm-hmm. if you aren't, then we need to start working with the areas that are maybe a little bit more uh, easy for Well, because to, to visit places like that, you there's got to be some sort of activities, um, especially if um, younger people are going there as well, or they're going to be so bored. I mean, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do in the countryside. So, you know, you'd, you'd well, want I mean, to know what else you can do out there. That's the, that's actually kind of part of the narrative, <laughs> the Tokyo narrative is that, or the, okay. the metro, mm-hmm. right? Is that, mm-hmm. well, the city's got clubs and it's mm-hmm. got yeah. skyscrapers right. and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And that's true. That's, that's not false, right? Mm-hmm. Totally true. Again, I'm a musician and like I toured Japan, <laughs> my music in small club. Like I love that stuff. We were talking a little bit about land and the soil, possible contamination. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to build on um, soil? How how to get it tested and so forth. Now, I've got the opposite question. Can an investor benefit from land appreciation? Uh, you know, it's, it's possible. <laughs> uh, I would say it's very unlikely um, to the point that I would say don't even put that kind of in your list of expectations or anything. Um, I mean, the, the fact is, you know, Japanese land prices, rural or uh, uh, in the city, uh, urban, there we go, um, are, are pretty rock solid. Like they don't, they don't vary all that much. Of course, you know, the structures are built on them and there, there's some factors to consider. But generally speaking, property prices, land prices uh, are pretty solid. But the, I mean, the thing is, what like um again that that narrative that i, I mentioned about the, met- the metro area is the place to be tokyo is the place to be it's such the case that well there's no reason to expect any kind of appreciation in rural areas because there isn't yet kind of anything or too much really going on there right now right um if you i, I would say and probably you know if we're good in two or three years time maybe uh, we could start seeing that, but that is contingent upon development, business development, community development, narrative development, like all kinds of development going on in sort of, you know, non-standard uh, regions of Japan or elsewhere in the world, right? Um, but we're talking about Japan. So in Japan, prior to kind of having a reason to expect appreciation, well, why would you? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think now we live in very unique times. Prior sure. to the pandemic, possibly land appreciation, you know, people moving out to the countryside to, um, to develop the communities for there mm-hmm. to be land appreciation might have been one thing. But we're looking at a different time now where people might be mm-hmm. quite anxious to move out away from the cities. And do you think that that could trigger land appreciation? Given oh, the for times sure. we live in. Ab- absolutely. I, I merely think that, and I mean, the way that we function is very much in kind of systems thinking, right? And so, I mean, granted, we, have, we haven't, you know, we don't have a whiteboard that, you know, says like, oh, okay, step one, sell Akia, step two, question mark, step three, revolution or <laughs> renaissance or whatever. Um, but right now, what we're looking at is, you're, you're correct in that people are anxious to leave the city. And in fact, one of the major factors in us deciding to pull the trigger on starting Akia Ninaka as an official entity, what year was it? <laughs> I guess last year, was that last year? Um, you know, having Zoom calls or various business meetings with people from various levels of, of industry, everybody just at some point in conversation would, there was this sigh, there would always be a sigh They'd stop talking and just go, <sighs> right? And say something along the lines of like, I'm dissatisfied with my job. I'm scared of living in the city. You know, I want to do this, but I've got all these obligations, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that was the thing that really made me say, because I've been doing research in, in um, uh, Akia for two or three years. 
and have been aware of it, but never really, it was just a hobby, right? And I started hearing people talk about this and I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I have a solution for that. And that's kind of how we started. So certainly people are interested in it, right? Um, but there's a big difference between being interested and actually acting beyond that interest. Um, and with something like moving out of the city, uh, just in general, but especially when, you know, I'm here to say that Aki are, they're viable, you can do them, but there's still this narrative around them that is kind of uncertain and risky, as it were. And so that's even, an even bigger kind of barrier to entry. Um, and so we're not expecting people to immediately just jump into rural life, abandon everything and, you know, go rural or, you know, wild or whatever. That's not going to happen for the most part. We don't have any clients that are doing that. Um, but what we are expecting, right, is people to start, you know, like putting their, testing the water, putting their, their toe in, what's the phrase I'm looking for, putting their toe in the water, um, right, and, and reasonable places outside of the city. And that's not eight hours outside of the city. That's probably, it's definitely less than two hours, right? And so once that starts building up, once that hits critical mass, then we can start seeing more jumping off points from there. But it's not the case that, you know, just some magic button's gonna be pressed and people just immediately will leave Tokyo and, you know, they'll live in an abandoned house. Um, that's, it'd be cool if that happened, but I, I don't really expect it. People have gotten quite comfortable with um, working from home, teleworking. And part of that is that they are looking at not necessarily going back to the office, although many people are more comfortable with that. But a lot of people are also looking at finding that sort of midway point right. where they can share space um, and, um, and, and work without being in the heart of Tokyo, say. So do you think that that could be another use for some of these abandoned Absolutely. properties? Absolutely. And that's actually a really exciting point. Um, I can't speak for much more than the town that I live in, uh, but something that's super interesting right now is uh, there are four cases of people picking up, people who live in Tokyo. And, I mean, it's what it's they're all mid-career women above 40 enterprising women above 40 japanese women above 40 who are purchasing akia with the specific intent to bring them into like teleworking remote working spaces right um which is just an awesome idea i i will say that you got to be careful about that connected internet connectivity make sure that works because if you don't have that it won't work um but people yeah. are uh, very much using Akia in for that purpose. For foreigners who are very much interested in exploring uh, Akia properties, whether for their own adventurous selves or to purchase them in order to for, um, to run a, a short-term rental business. Mm -hmm. I've heard that they can use Akia banks. Can right. you run through what that is? And, um, and is it something that you would recommend foreigners use? Well, I can't say I'd recommend it, but there really aren't any other resources out there. So you're, you're sort of stuck with them, unless you choose to work with us, of course. Um, so Akia banks are, I don't know, does that word sound funny to somebody who's not used to like Japanese English? Well, it's different for me, for me, and I don't speak Japanese. Right, right. Akia, that, like, what does Akia, Akia bank mean to you? What does that make you think of? Well, I think Akia is Japanese, and then you got bank. So I think of a place where you can get financing for abandoned properties. That's what comes to my mind. Okay, interesting. Interesting. That is not what it is. <laughs> Um, it's, it's an, it's a bank of information. It's a store of information. Um, and so Akia banks have nothing to do with financing. That being said, financing for Akia is possible. Uh, there are certain requirements that you have to meet, but you can do it, but I won't get into that here. Um, so Akia banks are, for lack of a better term, databases, uh, that store information. They're, they're listings, the real estate listings, really. Um, but they're... While they are incredibly well-intended, they are 
I don't think I've seen, I at least can't bring anything to mind that has been more poorly implemented than Akia banks. They are, and I, I say this lovingly because it's obviously like I'm in this business and stuff and I want things to work, but they need like 100% improvement. They're, they're terrible. Um, so they're, like I said, they're listings, um, but they're fragmented, like you can't believe they're municipally administered, which means that every city that has an Akia bank, it's not the case that every city has one, it's that if a city wants one, then they can make one. Um, they're scattered to the wind. You know, city A will have, you know, data points one through 20. Uh, they'll have their own formatting and design. Uh, I, it's almost guaranteed that the URL will be, you know, miles long and completely unrememberable. Rememberable. Um, and then the next city over will have a completely different system, just as all of the other cities do. Uh, and none of them communicate. They're updated manually. Uh, the photography and other media that is present on them, if present at all, uh, is almost across the board. Uh, triggers a gag reflex. They're, it's just really bad document, visual documentation. Um, and there's a lot of problems with them, right? And I, I do intend to be a little bit kind of, uh, I'm not over the top. It might sound like it, but really there's a lot of problems with them such that people, Japanese, oh, they're also entirely in Japanese. They do not have English versions. Um, they're, they're so poorly implemented that Japanese or not Japanese, or rather Japanese speaking or not Japanese speaking, it's very difficult to actually find something that you like. It's not at all hard to scroll through a bunch of PDFs and not understand anything and see some pictures of some gross houses. That's easy, right? But actually finding kind of the diamonds in the rough via Akia banks is outstandingly difficult. Um, and that's a big part, of, or at least the first step of the services that we provide our clients is that, you know, it's, it's totally feasible and possible for you to say to yourself, okay, I want, you know, a two-story house that's more than 200 square meters and has two, there's a lot of twos in there, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> imagine what you want and then try to go out and find it. You can do that. That's not impossible, but you will be, you, you'll take days, if not longer, to actually do it. Uh, you'll be incredibly frustrated. You will not come across, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the entire story of it. Because again, too, they might have 20 data points. It doesn't mean that they're all filled in. You might just say, you know, what type of, does it have plumbing? And then it'll be a blank or something. So there's all kinds of problems associated with Akia Banks. Um, yeah, that's Akia Banks. <laughs> It sounds chaotic. Yes, it is very. The properties can be dilapidated. The cop, the properties can be, they can have some stigma associated with it. For example, you know, um, dead bodies or something like that. Um, but yet these properties are appealing. What is it that appeals to foreigners about these properties? Well, I mean, it, it's really the um, it's it's the articles that have been coming out for like six years now, right? Uh, about you know, oh my God, free houses and all that stuff. And occasionally there are you know really good success stories. I mean, we've got some, uh, but what there was one in CNN like a year ago. Uh, our friends Cowdy and Byron Nagy up in um, Fujinol uh, at Kasamatsu Farms have been getting a lot of media attention recently. Um, you actually might want to reach out to them. They're excellent, excellent people doing really cool stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, there's these articles that are kind of, I mean, they're very clickbaity, but they're, it's not that they're not true. It's just, they don't really tell the backstory. They just say, holy shit, like these people picked up a house for $10,000 and turned it into this awesome thing. You should do that too. And then they don't give you the resources to do it. Right. So that's an enticing story, but if you don't have, again, the resources to do it, then you're not going to do it. Right. And so people see these stories and say, that sounds neat. I like that idea. I want to do that. And then they go to an Akia bank and say, ah, what is this? And then they stop and don't do anything. Right. 
So is it difficult to, let's say you don't have, let's say somebody wants to, to purchase one of these houses and rebuild from scratch. Do they need to have those skills or is it easy enough to um, go through that whole construction process and work with the builders and so forth in Japan? Uh, I know both cases. I'd say actually with Akia, it's probably more common that people are taking a, a kind of a DIY approach to it. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that it's, it's, I mean, if it's a majority, it's like a minor majority. Um, but, you know, working with contractors is certainly sort of the standard of either building a new property or renovating something. Um, you do need to be careful. We also work with our clients to vet uh, kind of, you know, landscapers or roofing or, you know, basically anything that goes into it. Just like anywhere, you got to know, you know, like K- KYC or KY, it's still KYC, just know your contractor, not customer. <laughs> um, I mean, it totally depends on which contractor you go with. We try to, we try very hard to get our clients working with contractors that do not have uh, kind of a exceedingly bureaucratic approach to things. Um, there's also project management. Communication is, of course, of the utmost importance with any kind of expensive or long-term project. Um, so you can kind of go either way. Uh, we're there to advise our clients as well on this sort of thing. So it's, whichever way you choose to go, it's totally doable. You just got to know how to do it right. And we talked about there's vacant homes, there's abandoned homes, semi-abandoned homes. There's so many different types to uh, so many different options, rather, um, so, and choices. So how does a foreigner know what's best for them? That's that's part of the fun of the work that we do, actually. Um, a lot of a lot of people, not all, but you know, enough that I'll say a lot, um, will come to us really with kind of nothing in mind. They just they like the idea, but they don't they don't have sufficient information about the entire Akia environment such that they can imagine kind of a specific, oh, okay, this is what I wanted. They just say, ah, this is neat and I'm curious, what can we do sort of thing? And so we work with a number of clients on actually just sitting sitting them down and saying, okay, do you have kids? (laughs) Do you need multiple bedrooms? What about bathrooms? How far out of the city? What's your budget like? Do you want to repair it yourself? I mean, there's just, you know, kind of developing the profile of a uh, kind of like the target profile, target property profile with clients is something that we do do. It's not all the time, but that's definitely something that can and, and is done. I, I think the thing that hits me most is that there's a lot of chaos. Hmm. The Akia banks are in Japanese and Therefore, it's not something that is accessible to foreigners, except for the pictures. They can go through the pictures. Yet, in the midst of all this, it's still really appealing. Mm -hmm. And is that because people are just dying to get away from the city? And this is Mm -hmm. a a shift we're seeing, like a new movement? Or is this something that's been happening all along? Um, And then that takes me to... Is this something, do you see value in this? Do you see value in the properties, not just land appreciation, but is this something that is going to take off in terms of um, just a whole new new type of living? Yeah, that's, that's really kind of the crux of our, I guess, angle of attack on this is, I mean, yeah, we, we're a real estate company. Okay, great. What does that mean? Oh, we have buildings. Please buy one, right? <laughs> at, at the core of it. But I mean, really, this is actually a lot of how I think about music as well, is that the band on stage is kind of the seed. That's the kernel of the experience that happens at the concert. And that's, you know, going to the bar and meeting the band or, you know, having dinner with some after parties and all this other stuff, right? And in the same way, the Akia itself is the kernel of a lifestyle experience or the kernel of a lifestyle right? And the experiences that accompany that, right? And so working with clients, you know, we're not just saying, 
we're not just working with them to find something that looks cool and specifically a building that looks cool and has the accoutrements that they're curious and interested in. Of course we do that, but on top of that, you know, we make it our business to find communities and regions and neighborhoods that for whatever reason, click with their personal, kind of their personality, their character, right? Um, and that's something that, if, I mean, if you don't do that, then I really, minus that, I don't see much of a future um, for Akia, right? If you don't make them, basically, if you don't have that emotional attachment to kind of connectivity and humanity and stuff, it's going to be a lot more difficult. But the fact is, you know, in rural areas in Japan and elsewhere, um, there are merits to the one of which is just health. Even before Corona, health. Now it's even better because you're not, you know, wading through throngs of people and stuff. But I mean, I myself lost, I think it was like 10 kilograms once I moved out of Tokyo into just like a lot of weight. I didn't know that I was, I had that much to lose, but apparently I did. Um, and that's not even, it's not like I'm even going to the gym a lot. It's just, oh, I walk more and I eat and I cook a lot more for myself and I don't go to convenience stores. And, you know, there's a number of environmental factors that, that come into play. Um, but the health benefits, the greenery, the fresh air, the fact that you're not, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people who might be infected with a global pandemic that could kill you. Uh, this, that, and the other thing are huge benefits to it. Um, there's also, big cities tend to be a little bit alienated. As much as I love Tokyo and I love New York and Seattle and like all the places that I've lived, uh, they can be alienated quite a bit. Um, and rural communities do tend to, they, it's not the case that they always do, but they tend to be a kind of more sort of inclusive and well communal, I guess. Um, so there's that. There's strangely enough outside of Tokyo, internet speeds are faster because there's far less throughput. Um, and so you actually get better performance operating outside of the city than you do in. Um, and so there's a whole lot of things that go into making uh, kind of rural experiences and rural lifestyles uh, the, the kind of the focus of where Akia are heading. If we're just talking about, oh, cool, you're renovating an abandoned house. I don't care about anything around it. Ugh, that's, that really doesn't have much in the future, but it's, it's the people and the experiences that they have with the others around them because of the Akia that they have and have renovated or live in. That's the thing that I think is is a very enticing, very encouraging and promising uh, development that we're looking to further help along its way. What is there to do in the countryside? I mean, that's what they would say in, in Tokyo. They would say, why would anybody want to move to the to the countryside? But it's it is a different kind of a lifestyle. And so what is that lifestyle? What would what would a person do? Um, is well, it a place me, for me, young people? Is it a place for children? Is it a place who would be best suited for uh, the, the countryside properties? Right. Let me start off by saying uh, it's not a it's not a binary thing. It's OK. I, I, again, I, I live like 45 minutes from Tokyo. I can totally go party or whatever pretty much whenever I want. I might. I kind of got to keep my eye on the train schedule because last train and everything. But aside from that. And I'm in Tokyo two or three times a week anyway. So it's not that, and I do live, like this is totally qualified as countryside, but it's not that I'm completely cut off from the metro experience. Like it's basically right in front of me. Um, so that being said, there, there is a, I mean, it does depend on where you are, I suppose, but there is a bit of a make your own fun kind of element. Um, I've got, well, what, I've got a hobby farm, uh, I've got like, I have, I have 20 chickens and three goats now. Like I never, <laughs> I never imagined that I would be like a goat collector. <laughs> Might be the name. I'm of not a farmer. Band. I like, what's that? Sounds like the name of your new band. Yeah. Right. It easily could be. Um, and so, yeah, on a hobby farm that I just kind of, and that's great exercise. And it's just, you know, sort of not because I'm in Japan, it's kind of a Zen thing. I'm just like, all right, I'm digging a hole. Okay. This is good. Um, you can do that. I've got a surfboard. I live right near the beach. So there's that. Uh, I mean, I am, I do work a lot. 
And I do a lot of video and music production as well. So it's not like I'm just some Luddite who has <laughs> completely disconnected from the world and whatnot. No, not at all. Um, so, I mean, I've got drones, I've got multiple cameras, I've got you know, a whole slew of production equipment that I use, both for professional purposes and business purposes, as well as just a bunch of fun stuff, stupid stuff mostly, but it's still fun. Um, that being said, you know, again, going back to the kind of the narrative, it is the case that Tokyo skews far younger than rural areas. And that's because they've, for the last at least two decades, if not more, have just been migrating. That's what you do. You go to Tokyo. If you don't live there, you go there. Um, and so it is, it is quieter for sure, unless I'm putting on an event, a music event, and then because nobody lives here, I can just crank the, the volume up on whatever and nobody hears it because there's nobody there too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a balance. I would say that somebody, um, I know that there are people who are just very, very much entrenched in city life and can't do without it. And so if that's that type of person, it'll, it'll be a bit more challenging, I think. Um, but for, I mean, by and large, most of the people that both of my personal friends groups, as well as business groups, I don't really know that many people who are particularly against it. In fact, I mean, we're, there's a reason we're a business too, is that more and more people are coming at us about it. So there is interest in yeah, kind of right. augmenting. It's, it's more an augmentation is kind of how I think of it. It's an expansion of your horizons. It's not saying I'm getting rid of the city and going to be a farmer. It's saying, oh no, like, which is one of my favorite things, right? And, or goats <laughs> or, or whatever, right? You can add to your city experience. It's, it's an add, it's an add on, not a detraction from, subtraction from. I'm sure you have um, piqued the interest of many of our listeners now. With the goats, how can they? People, it's people those goats. The goats did it, and they're babies. There's two babies. Baby goats right? are the best. Oh my god, they are. <laughs> they're crazy. They're, it's like they're psychic. They know exactly what you don't want them to do. <laughs> but boy, are they cute! <laughs> how can our listeners reach you, Matt? What's the best way? Um, we're kind of all over the place, but our website, is all over the place in a good way, not like scattered. Um, our website is akiyainaka.com. That's A-K-I-Y-A-I-N-A-K-A.com. Um, or Instagram, our YouTube channel is a lot of fun. There's, uh, uh, Akia walkthroughs, um, a video that you can watch. We've got kind of a fledgling series called the Akia Hunter, uh, which, is kind of like that, um, what is it, Parts Unknown, the Anthony Bourdain show, except instead of just food, it's abandoned houses in Japan. Um, but it's, it's that kind of thing. We've got 10 episodes. We're still figuring out the kinks, but it's fun. Um, Twitter, don't really use that one that much, but we've got it. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, the whole deal. Um, you can feel free to reach out to me on personal accounts as well, Facebook and LinkedIn and whatnot. Um, always happy to talk. And I mean, even if you're not interested in buying either in the near future or ever, um, again, a, kind of a big part of our, I guess, contribution, that sounds a little bit self-aggrandizing, but one thing that we really wish to affect uh, in the general discourse is really educating people about the, the nuances and the variety of experiences and opportunities that are available with Akia and Inaka. Because right now, as, as we've been talking about, a lot of that narrative is, you know, it's either a complete dumpster fire and just awful, and why would you ever think of doing that? Or you're in Tokyo and super successful, right? Um, and that's not the case. So, you know, even if you don't want to buy it, like we're happy to talk about, I mean, kind of like what we're talking, how we've been talking. And that's something that we really wish to contribute to in the general um, sort of, I guess, understanding of what is going on with vacant houses in rural Japan. It's, it's, I think it's very important, but also just immensely interesting, and kind of cool and quirky and wacky <laughs> kind of thing. So feel free to reach out um, regardless. Thanks, Matt. It's been very insightful. And um, thank you for taking us to 
places where no one has gone before. <laughs> I've only shown you so much. There's so much more. <laughs> Thank you. Though. That was Matt Ketchum, co-founder of Akia and Inaka. We will link Matt's contact information in our show notes. From NTI, this is Pretty Donnelly. Thank you for tuning in. Mm-hmm.